Let's open our Bibles, please, to the book of Romans. In our last lesson, we left off with verse 16, where Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. And you need to read that verse in order to see verse 17. It says, For therein, the word therein means that it is in that gospel. Now, verse 17 is the righteousness of God revealed. The righteousness of God is revealed in the gospel. From faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Now, this is the Old Testament quotation. The just shall live by faith. It's quoted in the book of Habakkuk 2 and verse 4. And it's repeated or quoted three times in the New Testament. One of them was right here, the just shall live by faith. Another time in Galatians 3.11 and in Hebrews 10.38. Three times over you find this quotation, the just shall live by faith. I think most of us know that this is the theme and was the uh, message of Martin Luther during the Reformation. He says, the just shall live by faith. And uh, if you... Uh, care to look into it, in these three times that you find it in the New Testament, you'll find that each time the emphasis is upon a different word. At one time, it's the just shall live by faith. And then another time, the just shall live by faith. And then the, another time, the just shall live by faith. So each time you have a play on the words according to the context of the Scripture in the New Testament. Now, we know that uh, faith begins at the new birth. At the new birth, we have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's where faith is really received as well as exercised and applied. In other words, we have to receive faith before we can have faith. The Bible says in Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that, not of yourselves, is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So that faith is even not of us. So we receive the faith, and then we have faith. We have faith in the Lord because it is a divine gift. And at the new birth, all of this converges together. It comes together so that we have faith in Christ we have faith as a result of the divine working of the Holy Spirit that has quickened us to believe or to uh, have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and to receive Him as our own personal Savior. So it begins at the new birth, and then as we grow in grace, we have more faith. It increases. So look at these words again. Therein, therein in the gospel, is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. I like that, from faith to faith. From faith to faith. You know how John puts it in one of his epistles, the first epistle of John? He said that these things are written unto you that believe, that have faith, that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. And then what does he say? And that you may believe, you have more faith, that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. Why did he add that? Because if you believe on the name of the Son of God, and you know because of your faith in Jesus Christ as the Son of God, that you have eternal life, then 
you are growing in grace and you have more faith to believe on the name of the Son of God. So it's a continuous thing. So it says here, For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, The just shall live by faith. So in verse 17, you have the righteousness of God revealed, right? But look in verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. In verse 18, the wrath of God is revealed. Verse 17, the righteousness of God is revealed. The righteousness of God is revealed in the gospel, isn't it? But the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. We'll see why in a moment. But let's first of all state the fact of the wrath of God. If you don't believe in the wrath of God, you look in the Bible. If you don't believe in the wrath of God, you look back in the book of Genesis and see the smoke of those cities of the plain, Sodom and Gomorrah, completely destroyed with fire and brimstone from God out of heaven. If you don't believe in the wrath of God, you look upon an ungodly world in Noah's day and see a whole world destroyed and all men except Noah and eight persons, including himself, preserved in the ark. If you don't believe in the wrath of God, look back and see that great city Babylon destroyed. Look back at the kingdoms, the wicked nations and kingdoms that God destroyed. We might even bring it over in the New Testament. If you don't believe in the wrath of God, and God looking upon the church with very minute scrutiny, look at Ananias and Sapphira. They came in and they lied about how much money they got out of the land. Peter said, Why has Satan filled your heart to lie against the Holy Ghost? First Ananias was smitten dead, and then his wife came in later, and she, was, she also fell down dead. And the Bible says, great fear came upon all the church. No wonder. God's wrath was revealed against such lying to the Holy Ghost. You know, if the same power was being manifested in this day and age of grace, I'm afraid that we'd see people falling dead all over the churches, local churches, throughout the land and the community. People lie to the Holy Spirit of God today as well as they did then. But God is long-suffering, and this is a day and age of grace. He did that. That was an example, and that was a, an actual uh, fact and uh, something that happened to put fear into the hearts of the church as well as bring judgment upon those who lied to the Holy Spirit of God. And Peter says, you've not lied unto men, but you've lied to God. We see, God's not in any hurry to bring judgment, but the wrath of God is revealed, and one of these days his judgment's going to fall, isn't it? Even in the realm of New Testament churches. We're going to find that people that think that everything is okay, one day they're going to have to face the judgment of God. The Bible teaches us that that is true. Now, we know the only way for a person to escape the final judgment is to be born again, be a child of God, and then we're exempt from that great white throne judgment. But every Christian shall stand before the judgment seat of Christ, And we won't go into all the things that are involved at the judgment seat of Christ, for we've taught them before. But we want you to be mindful that Peter says if judgment begins first at the house of God, sometimes that judgment begins while we're yet here upon this earth, at the house of God. You think it hasn't happened, you look in local churches around the 
the country and you'll find that uh, there is an evidence that God's judgment is still being executed upon those that uh, would fight against this purpose and plan and cause and lie to men, lie to God. And we find that it is true. We can detect that from time to time. Sometimes those that rise up against the local church, we'll find that, they, that they're uh, smitten in various ways. And God takes care of that. And we don't have to worry about it at all. It's in the hands of God. The Bible says, Vengeance is mine. It's not yours. It's mine, saith the Lord. I will repay. I will recompense. All right, let's go on to the next verse. The reason God's judgment is revealed, he says, because that, and this is in days of old as well as in our day and as well as in the future when God's judgment will be made manifest. He says in verse 19, because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has showed it unto them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world, the invisible things of God, even from the creation of the world, are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. They're without excuse in the days of old when men could know God and refused to live up to the light of that knowledge that was given them. Let's go on and read verse 21, then we'll come back and, and say some more things. Because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. So what do we see? You know, the question comes up in the minds and hearts of some people, and I'm sure it's crossed your mind. We've asked the question time and again. Does God send souls to hell without a chance for them to be saved? I believe we have the answer in these verses if we'll look at them very carefully. God doesn't send a soul to hell without a chance for them to be saved. You say, well, there's many people that are going to hell that have never heard the gospel of Christ. That may be true. But there is another witness that they have not received or else God would have sent the gospel to them. You see, when a man doesn't live up to the light of the knowledge that God has given him... What need is there for further light? And you can see here that the Bible says that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has showed it unto them. And how did he show it? For the invisible things, listen, of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen being understood by the things that are made. The Bible says, you read Psalm 19, says the heavens declare the glory of God. And the firmament showeth his handiwork. Day unto day utter speech, and night unto night showeth knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Their line is gone out throughout all the earth, and their words unto the end of the world. You see, God is a witness. The very witness of creation men have rejected. And thus their foolish hearts have become darkened. They have shut God out as far as that amount of light that He has given unto them. Look at this. There are some things that show that these are without excuse. Look in verse 20. It says, so that they are without excuse. The heathen are without excuse. 
Every man upon this world, upon this earth, is without excuse before God. For the simple reason that there are certain things that may be known of God that he will not acknowledge in his heart. And God knows the hearts. God will not be unjust and send any person to, uh, to an eternity without him, without some enlightenment. Now, you look at the scripture here. First of all, you'll see that God may be known. God may be known because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God. You'll see that God may be, is made manifest in verse 19, because that which may be known of God is manifest in them. And then you'll see something else, that God has showed it unto them. Look at that. God has showed it unto them. Verse 19. And then another thing, that God is clearly seen from the creation which declares His glory and His handiwork. It's clear, he is clearly seen. But they have refused this much enlightenment. Well, now then, if a man refuses that much enlightenment, God knows that he will refuse, and God knows every man's heart. God knows how he would refuse the very light of Christ. And therefore, the Bible goes on to say that they didn't want to have God in their knowledge. Look at verse 21. Because that when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations. And their foolish heart was darkened. You see, they did not want the knowledge of God. They didn't want to glorify Him. They didn't want to be thankful. They became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. And you can go back and look at all of the heathenish worship of old and find that it is centered in these things we're talking about here. And change the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man and to birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. Isn't that what Egypt did? Look what Egypt, before Moses delivered the children of Israel, they made gods of everything. God sent, sent judgment upon their gods. What did He judge? He judged that great river. They worshipped even the river. They worshipped the frogs. They worshipped the the oxen, the bullocks, and God smote them, the cattle, didn't he? They worshipped the, the land, and God made lice to come up out of the land to cover man and beast. God executed judgment upon all the gods of Egypt. Can you imagine men, as wise as they were to build treasure cities, as wise as they were to build all the wonderful things that were built, and yet we find them worshiping creeping things. And even before that, in the days of Noah, that men had corrupted themselves upon the earth. And we're not told of what all corruption was there, but the Bible tells us that 
the imagination of their heart was only evil continually, and I'm sure that some of these things were true there. So, the Bible says they're without excuse. They changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man, and to birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. Now then, I want you to notice three times that God gave them up. Look in verse 24, 26, and 28. It says, Wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness. Look in verse 26. For this cause God gave them up unto vile affections. Look in verse 28. God gave them over to a reprobate mind. God says He gave them up. Not only had they changed the glory of an uncorruptible God into images made like unto corruptible things, man even, and birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things, look at verse 24 again, wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts. You see, their sinful hearts were filled with lust to dishonor their own bodies between themselves. In verse uh, 25, who changed the truth of God into lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the Creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For God, for this cause God gave them up unto vile affections, for even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. And likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lusts one toward another, men with men, working that which is unseemly, and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error which was meet. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge. They knew God, but they didn't like to retain God in their knowledge. It says, God gave them over to a reprobate mind. This, this is a mind that's void of judgment. There's nothing within them to appeal to. If you have a marginal reference, that's what a reprobate is. He doesn't have any feeling toward God whatsoever. And God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. So we see the judgment there that's given. And then I want us to notice quickly as we look at it from verses 24... I should say verses 29, verses 29 through 32 in the last part of the chapter, you will find 23 indictments against wickedness. God says, first of all, being filled with all unrighteousness, nothing right about it. Righteous, the righteousness of God is revealed in the gospel, verse 17. And that's the righteousness by faith. But unrighteousness is to live an unrighteous, ungodly, a sinful life, a life without God. And the Bible says that they're filled with all unrighteousness, not just a little bit of it. That's the first indictment. And I won't count them as we go along, but I want you to notice them as, as we look at them. It says fornication starts out. That's adultery as well. Fornication. Wickedness. Covetousness. Maliciousness. Full of envy. 
murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whispers, backbiters, haters of God. You see what a man's attitude is? If a man has all of these things deep-rooted in his heart, he doesn't love God. He hates God. You know why he hates God? Because God hates sin, and he's got all the sin. You know, Jesus said, Out of the heart of man cometh forth evil thoughts. The Bible says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. You know, the only way God can set His love upon you and I is making us a new creature in Christ Jesus. We're wicked and sinful and ungodly, and we still have that old nature, but God has given us a new and a divine nature. And that's why John says, He that doeth righteousness is righteous, even as he is righteous. He has a new nature. God has given him a right kind of a heart and life. A new life. And it's begotten by the Holy Spirit at the time He was born again. And the Holy Spirit indwells and lives within our heart and soul and life, or else we'd be just as wicked in some respects as the things that are named here. I'm thankful we have a new nature, aren't you? A divine nature. Because if we look at that deep-rooted carnal nature, we can look back And every one of us can say like the Apostle Paul, I know that when I would do good, evil is present with me. We can look into our hearts and say uh, that there is certainly sin. That old nature is still present. But the Bible says if we walk in the Spirit, we shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. The Bible tells us to put off the old man with a the deceitful lust and with his deeds and put on the new man which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. That's what we're to put on to promote and to encourage and to live by is that new man and that new life. And every Christian should be encouraging. The Bible says, exercise thyself rather unto godliness. You see, if you don't exercise yourself unto godliness, you probably won't have very much godliness. Some people think, well, it all just comes automatically, living a Christian life. No, it doesn't come without some effort. Does anything come without effort? Not at all. When you, uh, if you're going to grow physically, people have to be fed, they have to be nourished, They have to be cared for to grow physically from a baby, small child on up to a teenager, to a full-grown person. You have to be nourished. And to grow spiritually, you have to have the same attention. You have to feed upon the Word of God. You have to feed upon it at home, in private, and meditate in it. In His law, He will meditate, shall meditate day and night. She'll be like a tree planted by the rivers of water which bringeth forth his fruit in his season. You read the first psalm, it says, His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. Why? Growing and being nourished. Paul says, Exercise thyself rather unto godliness. There must be some effort put forth. We must use all the means of grace at our disposal. We must take the Word of God, which is food for our soul. We must exercise Uh, the privilege of prayer and praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. 
People go along and rock along and think they can neglect the Word of God, neglect the house of God, neglect the teaching of the Scripture, neglect the ministry of the Word that God has ordained for the edifying of the church, of the body of Christ, neglect the house of God, and expect to grow. No, it takes some exercise. Exercise, you have to put forth an effort. And Paul says, exercise thyself rather unto godliness. He says, godliness is profitable in the life that now is and of that which is to come. It will bless you now and it will be your eternal blessing and reward hereafter. But these people were haters of God. Look at them. Look at these uh, 23 indictments. We're going to have to hurry along. But I want you to notice. They were filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate. They're always wanting to argue about something. Deceit, malignity, whispers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, without understanding, covenant breakers, they can't keep their word. You know, you could dwell on every one of these things, but every once in a while something strikes you. And I know it does you as you're reading them and as you follow along. But you know, isn't it a terrible thing? Covenant breakers here. That people will not keep their word about anything anymore. Few and far between do you find men and women, persons who are those that will keep their word and whose word is good as their bond. I think we ought to come back to that, don't you? When we tell a man something, that we'll do our dead level best to do it, and if we're unable, and men are capable of weakness and of making uh, commitments that we cannot live up to, but when we cannot do it, we ought to be honest enough to go and say, I said I would do that, but it, the circumstances have just prevent, prevented me from being able to carry out and to keep my word about it. Well, to be honest about it, shouldn't we? Covenant breakers. Without natural affection. They'll love everything but each other. We need to love one another. Jesus said, By this shall all men know that you're my disciples if you have love one to another. Disciples of Christ have love for one another. And then it says, Without that natural affection. Implacable. Unmerciful. Showing no mercy to anyone. The Bible says, Jesus said, Blessed or happy is the man that's merciful. Blessed are the, the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy in the Beatitudes. And we find it says, going on in verse 32, Who knowing the judgment of God. Were these men without any knowledge of the judgment of God? Who knowing the judgment of God, that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. They enjoy it. You find people with that kind of a rebellious spirit? And I don't think there should be a break in the chapters. You can go right on. Therefore, it says, thou art inexcusable, O man, whosoever thou art that judgest, for wherein thou judgest another, thou condemnest thyself. For thou that judgest doest 
the same things. We find that there's a carryover here. That the indictments are alike for all. For all men. For all. For Jew and Gentile. And all men are inexcusable in the sight of God. We cannot excuse ourselves from the judgment of God except on one basis. And that is that Christ has borne the judgment for us. We're guilty of sin of the worst kind. But God has delivered us. He has redeemed us. He has exempt us from present and future judgment because of Jesus Christ. God has found that we admit that we are sinful and deserve His righteous judgment. For wherein thou judgest another, thou condemnest thyself. For thou that judgest doest the same things. Notice as we carry it on over into the second chapter, we'll find that sometimes the thing that we most condemn in the other fellow that we have in our own uh, lives. Sometimes we point our finger and say, this fellow did thus and so. But do we look and see that we're guilty of the same thing? Maybe not in action, but maybe in thought or word. So let's be very careful to judge someone else. And maybe the Jews here would judge the Gentiles for being so ungodly. I'm sure the application goes to the Jews because they had the law, the written law. But it says that they were inexcusable, even though that they might look upon the Gentiles as heathen and ungodly and God giving them up because of all this great 23-fold indictment against their sins. Yet they would excuse themselves and say, we're privileged characters because we have God's law given to us. And after all, we're his chosen people. But the same thing that they would judge in the other fellow, they would be inexcusable in because they did themselves. They were guilty of themselves. We'll not take time to go into detail with the rest of this second chapter, but we'll pick up with uh, chapter 2 in our next lesson, the Lord willing, and give you some things about God's judgment in it. I'd like for us to stand together for a word of prayer, please.